0: Hi, I'm Lindsay Kat, and this is who I am.
1: Today is the musician, painter, director, writer, producer, and performance artist, Lindsay Cat. Good morning, Lindsay. Good morning. I think it's afternoon now. but um, Yeah,
0: I was going to say, three, it's okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm so confused by EST and PST and Central. Mm-hmm. I, All I've, of it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've used uh, Google to make sure that I got the time right about five times this morning. alone.
2: Absolutely. So. <laughs> well,
0: I'm pretty pretty severely dyslexic, and yeah, it's been sort of a long-standing joke, my disregard of time differences uh, in my family. So <laughs> don't worry, you're in good company.
1: Mm. So you um, grew up in Montana, is that correct?
0: Yes, Montana. Excellent. Um, in a really small town named uh, Plains, Montana. Uh-huh.
1: And um, were you uh, were you performing at a young age or were you were you always singing and dancing and and creating or did that come about because you lived in Small Plains, Montana? Or?
0: Yeah, no. So I had this really intentional, whimsical childhood mm-hmm. and my parents, uh, my dad was a family practice doctor and my mom was a professional work at home mom. Uh, who both ended up homeschooling us. I'm one of seven kids, so was a lot of us. And, uh, and just put a lot of emphasis and value on creative and critical thinking and imagination and sort of prioritizing childhood as part of the value structure uh, you know, they would always say, you know, it's the one, one time in your life you get to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and so that was really big for them. So, you know, we came up, uh, in a creative way, uh, with creative habits, you know, as I grew older, that sort of manifested into all of us sort of being forced to choose an instrument and learn how to play it. <laughs> I very, very famously now was fired from piano lessons at a very young age, um, <laughs> which yeah, it was, you know, very amusing. Uh, wherein, you know, my piano teacher called my mom and said like, you know, maybe she should take sports, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, which, which now I realize actually has to do with, uh, my dyslexia also. And so it's interesting, uh, because, you know, since then, uh, that teacher has, has reached out to me, we've connected and she was like, I just want to tell you like all this, all the things that I thought made you bad actually made you good. <laughs> and so we've had some resolution on that front as well, but yeah, no, we, um, we took, you know, different instruments growing up. Eventually I ended up sort of self-training, which I think a lot of dyslexic people do Mm -hmm. uh, because we really learn in our own way. Um, And then writing songs from a pretty young age. But our family was pretty invested in the community theater scene. Um, And yeah, we did a lot of sort of family singing nights and that that sort of thing, singing in church, Uh, you know, a lot of um, sort of classic creative expressive outlets from from childhood
1: but Mm -hmm. where did you fit in in the seven with the the kids with your siblings
0: oh i'm second second yeah second oldest
1: okay and um did you did you have a moment where you felt like you know it it was it was part of your life but then there was a moment where you said this is what i actually want to do do you remember that moment
0: yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, it's interesting. I feel like I've been getting asked that question a lot, so I've had a lot of opportunity to, to think about it. Um, there was a transition for me, I think as soon as I learned, like from when I was the age that I knew that you could be a musician or a rock star or a composer or an actor or you know a playwright, those, all those jobs, I was like, that I want to do that. I want to hang out with those people the weird ones that make me feel things. I don't want to, I want to invest my time in that world. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but that's, as soon as I realized that was a field you could work in, I think I wanted that. Mm -hmm. And so that was always sort of in my, in my consciousness, that being said, you know, I, and I think with great intent, good intentions, um, my parents sort of wanted me to have security. And I think there's a lot of Concern about sort of professionally proving artistic work, and maybe rightly so. And uh, so, at first, I found myself uh, in college and working three jobs to to pay for this education that I felt, you know, um, I liked it. Like I'm interested in medicine, and I'm interested in psychology, and the, in sort of science in those fields. And mm-hmm. You know, it just wasn't, I I wasn't burning for it in the same way. And I didn't feel as uniquely useful to that work in the same way that I did with uh, songwriting, for example. And so I had this kind of aha moment in my early 20s, late teens, when I decided okay, you're working this hard for something that you don't care that much about and you could be working that hard on something that you really do care about. And so I decided to shift my, my focus and to invest in where my interest really was and my passion and my excitement.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And I sort of decided to embody the cliche. And so I think I had like 200 bucks in my pocket and <laughs> packed my suitcase in a dream and bought a plane ticket. I didn't know a soul in New York City. And I, and I sort of set up a, but a nanny job for myself uh, there, and I moved, and hmm. that was my sort of leap in into that life, uh, and so that's kind of how that transition looked.
1: Hmm. And you, did you feel like you you the 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 um, the art that you wanted to perform and, and produce? Uh, encompassed all of these aspects that you, you have, you, you know, you're a performance artist, you have dance, you have music, you have, you uh, directing mm-hmm. now. And, or, or was it something that you, mm-hmm. to get one of those things going, you needed to learn other steps or you had to, to, to take on the other, the other aspects of it?
0: Yeah, it's a really great question. Uh, so I use my old joke, which I don't really use anymore. But I have artistic ADD <laughs> because. <laughs> but actually, what it is is it's not that. It's that if you put me in a room with any number of materials, I'm going to MacGyver that shit into a piece of art for you, mm-hmm. and the medium itself feels not irrelevant because I do think certain mediums speak to the context of certain work more powerfully uh, or louder, mm-hmm. and so I don't I don't disregard that as sort of a use and function, but I I do you think that if you, if, if I found myself without a paintbrush, I'd use my voice. And if I found myself without a voice, I'd write it down. You know, I think, <laughs> I think, so for me, a lot of it is just about creative resource. Um, and my interest in those things feels pretty evenly distributed for me, uh, in terms of how I feel about them. I, I desire to work in a medium that is going to make the message or content of the work reach its sort of maximum potential.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But outside of that, I don't have a a sort of predetermined agenda around which which medium or which modality, you know, is going to be the, the winner. That being said, you know, I also try to, uh, you know, utilize my skills and my competencies at things. And so I do think I gravitate towards things that I have more proficiency at, more experience with.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think part of the challenge is to push myself out of, you know, the habits of doing that and, to chase my interests more which have had have led me to more interesting work that i wouldn't have happenstantially come across
1: mm. with um the avant-gardener which is uh yeah, tell us a little bit about that one. Uh,
0: yeah so that was <laughs> so it turned into this sort of art beast film for me I- I say that because, you know, people say, oh, you know, film takes forever. And very naively, I thought, yeah, but, you know, you've got this and this. Uh, <laughs> you've got the money already and you've got the time. right." it's four years later. Like, <laughs> so I, I now must, in humility, kind of, you know, drop say, Yeah, OK, that's that is sometimes the act- activity is restrained. And there are, you know, pieces to the process that uh, require time. Uh, but, yeah, so that that film started from a from an idea really that sparked from years of doing commercial work in film licensing mm-hmm. and uh sync sync work and being a part of a lot of soundtracks soundtracks to films soundtracks to TV shows you know and which sort of represents music in these sort of 30 second pockets of garnish mm-hmm. for a sort of greater other art and i thought you know that's that's interesting to me You know, I've been doing these soundtracks. Why haven't we seen a film track? Why have we not seen film be the garnish to sort of this other sort of master story? Hmm. And so that was the initial spark of intrigue for me, which kind of flashes back to a lot of my influences, right? Jim Henson and the Beatles and Pink Floyd, these sort of innovators of form who, you know, really pushed their mediums into other areas and weren't afraid to play with form Hmm. and, and format. And that... I was excited by that, <laughs> and I thought, you know, Kai, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen that in a while, you know, I want to be that, like, I want to do that, like, so I started having ideas, and that night, I sat down and wrote out the the script and the concept, and I, I called my then guitar player, now, you know, business partner, Yakov, and I said, hey, I've got this idea, what do you, what do you think, and, you know, he's Russian and kind of quiet, and he's like, that's a good idea, <laughs> like, like, do you, do you want to do this with me, and he was like, yeah, <laughs> so that point on like we were making a film
3: mm.
0: and then it was just this slow tedious journey towards you know the from the beautiful naivety of not knowing about a, how difficult a thing will be to gaining all that information and insight about how to do it in a way that serves it mm-hmm. and you know there's this great phrase that I've come to adopt which is sort of this idea of building the ship while sailing it. <laughs> you know, and I feel like that's what we really did. Like we were building the ship while sailing it. I was discovering uh, uh, my own abilities and competency as a filmmaker while trying to produce this film mm-hmm. and really figuring out just for even myself what, where my energies were best served and what what was most important to me in the work itself. It, it really like, it, it really kept coming back to like, okay, and like, what what do you care about more? So we really had to get real about, you know, you know I think a lot of the and, uh, producers and people who worked on it had very similar emotional feelings about it. Eventually you spend that much time also doing something. I think it starts to get deeply personal.
1: Mm-hmm. Did you have a, a clear idea what each, um, uh, a chapter, for lack of a better word, or song, what what format you were going to tell that story in, or did it develop as a, a whole story that you broke down into songs and then into two visuals? Or
0: mm. yeah, that was an interesting process. Um, it's kind of a chicken and egg thing too, because they I kind of worked in layers. So I might say, okay, I've made the decision now as the content creator to make each and we've been using the, the sort of lexicon of episode because we, we were also kind of stuck around that to, to what to call these sort of <laughs> individuals, right? So, just, so we were using the language of episode, but like to make the decision of, okay, we're, each episode is going to be produced in a really distinct, uh, really unique form. So mm-hmm. black and white, split screen, animation, uh, et cetera. Uh, that's that's one decision but then within each episode it was really important to me that they could be viewed unilaterally and that it, you could detach them from the whole, whole mm-hmm. and they would still have a beginning middle and end with an arc so that you, if you watched it individually you wouldn't be completely lost <laughs> it would still feel like a complete piece and then when sort of interlocked together it would feel like a comprehensive complete piece mm-hmm. and so a lot of the decisions for the you know so we kind of did one general outline for that big piece story arc and then as i broke down the individual episodes i really tried to prioritize uh structuring their narrative in a way that spoke not only to the whole but to the individual so that if i was watching it you know on youtube on its own uh that it that it would make sense and that it would still have a a resonance about it and i tone but yeah um, but yeah, I really did do the i think the master outline first, i guess is the answer although it, again it's it feels so messy <laughs> in terms <laughs> of being able to tell
1: <laughs> was there any um was there anything that was at, well which which part of it was the steepest learning curve for you which which part was the the biggest leap in in what way um you you uh, um you worked as a director on it, and there was mm-hmm. the animation sec- sequence there's um yes the puppetry there's uh there's a there's a lot yes. of tricks in there that are uh, being used but <laughs>
0: <laughs> absolutely well the, the the good news is that i i knew when to outsource <laughs> <And> so <laughs> um uh, so like for example i was originally dancing uh i was the dancer in the red and originally recast myself as a much uh a much more competent dancer a professional dancer um and made other similar choices. So for example, I hired the incredible Maya Edelman, uh, to produce the, the animation sequence. So I didn't, I didn't hand animate that. I had a, a somebody who was more suited to the task do mm-hmm. it. Um, but I, I don't know. There was a lot of challenges, I think for me. And, you know, it's a hard one to talk about cause I feel like it's such a loaded issue. Um, in any position in which there was authority to be had, I really felt the sting of sort of being a woman in a dominated uh, male industry, which mm-hmm. was problematic at times. So I really enjoyed uh, directing and met a lot of challenges about being heard mm. uh, and listened to,
3: and
0: you know, just even, and I'm thinking like, God, you know, when you're the one paying for it and you're the one writing it and <laughs> you still can't get me. I'm you know? And so, and, it, and it's interesting because I, I think these are all really great people, uh, which is, you know, part of where the argument breaks down around these topics is that we want to kind of separate them into good guys and bad guys. Mm. And it just kind of doesn't work that way. Um, but, yeah, a lot of the challenges were in that. Um, it was at some points I was wearing too many hats, which is an interesting thing to look at also because I, I thought, well, you know, I can do this part and I can do this part. And after sort of trial and erroring that a little bit, um, you know, it became clear. That when it was time for me to direct, that needed to be the only hat I was wearing. Mm-hmm. And, and so again, it was making those sort of calculated choices of when to when to find help that's really going to serve the work. And I found that in Daniel Madoff, our fantastic producer uh, who produced the episodes that I directed, um, and was also our editor who just did a magical job, you know, crafting the the footage together. Mm-hmm. And and so yeah, I mean, I. I did storyboard the film, <laughs> which was something I hadn't done before. Um, you know, learning the the lexicon and shared vocabulary of film sets was something that I again like building the boat while sailing it had to kind of get acquainted with really quickly so that, you know, that expectation also as a quote unquote female director in a male world that I could be taken seriously and and also be not frustrating to the other people who've been working in the industry for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, i I really enjoyed directing. Um, I would say art directing was my biggest job on on set and the costume design. those mm. were a lot of work went into sort of designing and and building those. Most of those I built myself. Most of the props in the film I built by hand. Almost all of the paintings, uh, except the painting in the beginning uh, are paintings of mine. Mm. Uh, a lot of the set that was created, you know I would go in and paint. It. <laughs> build things that come home. So a lot of gluing things to they. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so, I mean, I really did have the benefit of having nuance and care because I, I did carry all of the details sort of at a macro and micro level. But, uh, I think really where I was smartest was hiring people who just have such proficiency and integrity in their work mm. and care, care about art. I mean, having those people involved is what made the film dance. Yeah. And have a heartbeat, a pulse.
3: So, yeah.
1: Did you have a, a clear idea of how you wanted it to be presented? How you wanted, um, is there like this idea to, to take it to, to cinemas? Or is there a, a format that you you envision having it played out? Anne?
0: Yeah, well, you know, we've been really fortunate. We, we won the first place grand prize uh, at Rhode Island International uh, Film Festival. Mm-hmm. For, for Best Experimental, which was great. So that was one of the times we got to see it on a really big <laughs> screen. And there's been about six others uh, since then that we have also won where there have been sort of that cinematic presentation, which if we're being honest, I didn't really know I wanted until we had it. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that was cool. <laughs> like, it was cool. <laughs> you know, It's cool to see. It was cool to see it big. Like, you know, what do they say? It's, it's uh, sometimes the quantity has its own quality. <laughs> mm.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, but, uh, yeah, it. That's that's a nice thing. Um, I think what I really want is for people to be able to broaden what they see as a possibility in how genres interact and how media works, mm-hmm. and that you can watch a strange film like this that's thirty six minutes long and and still somehow connect to pieces of it in a way that is intriguing to you and isn't isn't. Sort of boring, even though our attention spans are mine included. This <laughs> is <of> a peanut, <laughs> and uh, and you know, and to just try and I think think differently about how I think entertainment can work hmm. and how the function of art can work, and I think that if people can get something out of the work in that way, I think I'll be really satisfied.
1: <laughs> hmm. Did you were you surprised that you um, was it was a any uh, part of the process that, that you surprise yourself with and that you got more out of it than you thought you would or
0: yeah well there's there's a couple of really ambitious choices which multiple crew members gave me shit about and told me I was <laughs> a little bonkers for for wanting and you know and granted again like I had I had the power of naivety on my side <laughs> and I leveraged that uh, because I just didn't know how hard some of this stuff could be. And I thought, no, we'll just do it. And sometimes that attitude can get you to a place where you are then doing the critical problem solving of MacGyvering something that actually leads to something really incredible, which mm-hmm. we, <laughs> and we had a couple of those shots. One of them, uh, if you recall from the film, there's a a sort of dolly shot back through a doorway where paint covers the actor's face and it ex- exact moment Mm -hmm. Um, and that shot took maybe 20 people and you know 30 different rehearsals because (laughs) we only had two pieces of plexiglass and so we only had two times to get it and so and it required people moving the plexiglass from velcro from the camera dolly onto the wall seamlessly and then being able to pull back at the exact moment that this actor's face is being you know kind of Painting over the lens
3: mm-hmm.
0: and it's it was extremely technically difficult to pull off and that shot was written as a as a functional problem solving uh application for something we were solving for which is that our lead actor tom uh, who's this incredible actor this juilliard trained actor uh who's from london who lost his work visa, his student work visa, right in the middle of production <laughs> and then never got it back. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and like, I remember being with him in London and being like, we, we're we not going to solve this, are we? And he was just like, "We, there's nothing we can do. Like we petitioned everybody and just going, okay, now we've been waiting a year and a half to finish this movie and, and we can't get you back. What do we do? And so part of that was so we hired a body double and that was part of how we sort of uh, fortunately, we didn't have to change the structure of the narrative too much, but it, it it is sort of the mechanism we use to hide the fact that we didn't have our actor anymore <laughs> and still get him out of the story in a way that made sense. Uh, mm. You know, unfortunately, in the story, uh, the main character was still going to leave. So it didn't have to screw with the integrity, but it didn't mean we had to be very creative <laughs> um about what to do next so that was I think that's the hardest challenge for me that cre- I lost a lot of sleep over that shot
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you said it was a, a four-year process how did that break down how much time was spent on on pre-production and planning and actual shooting and and in the edit
0: yeah well you know the edit re- really took the cake for time mm-hmm. <laughs> um and even that actually wasn't as long as it could have been Uh, where we had a lot of delays was in losing Tom. That was our largest delay. And I think that delayed us like a year and a half or something. Mm -hmm. It was a really long time. Um, but you know, we shot each episode in two days.
3: Mm.
0: Uh, and we shot over weekends when it would be less expensive for, you know, equipment rentals, et cetera. And so, you know, a lot of the time went into the periods where we were waiting for things, Mm -hmm. waiting for animation or waiting for, you know, this to be, this part to be finalized, waiting for the green screen and post-production of the green screen to go through. Uh, Most of that was the downtime. Uh, You know, of course, some went to the actual construction of sets. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of this, the special effects are live action. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when she kicks the door down, she's on a set outside. That's not a, a green screen. She's walking into the woods. We, we just built a replica of both sets, right? Um, and so, and we're able to kind of cut. Yeah, I cut the shots. So, like a lot of those look so like that they seem like really good special effects. Actually, we just you know we just shot them um, practical. Uh, and so, some of those practical shots took a lot more planning. Some of them, you know, the, the pre-production was a lot less.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: but each but each episode we shot in two days where we lost time um, and we kind of made up for it because one of the episodes was animated. So we didn't have shoot time on that mm-hmm. uh, was uh, the split screen
3: mm.
0: because essentially we were shooting four, four videos. <laughs> <in> one. <So laughs> that one we did uh, two days for each side. Um, uh, but that one, yeah, that one took a lot more. We had a lot of locations, uh, a lot of art design, you know, just trying to make the apartments look, accurate to the era that they're supposed to be set in etc and
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah it was it was mostly a learning process
1: <laughs> did you have a, did you use one specific uh, camera throughout i know there's a couple of the, the things that looked like they're um more like super eight kind of shots and stuff like that but was there was there a technical aspect that you wanted to maintain throughout the whole thing with the equipment or
0: yeah we shot on red um i, I Originally it had been my intention to maintain the same equipment and aesthetic. And mm-hmm. as the creative choices started kind of popping up, you know, one of the elements that was in place for the episode was that it was going to be shot on cell phones and DSLRs and GoPros and stuff, which mm-hmm. is and, and it super eat all of those right components, those effects. Uh, and so we're like, okay, well that's, that's disrupting that all the cameras are the same thing. And then, um, uh, one of my, uh, director's, uh, had some thoughts about a camera that he wanted to use that was not the red uh, for the retro video, and I thought, okay, so he's you know he's really clear about the camera he'd like to use and why, and I trust him mm-hmm. more than I want to boss boss this around. So <laughs> I kind of let go of that. But we mostly shot on red when I was directing. We we shot on red. I think we were on the red epic and the red dragon at one point. Um, but yeah, and you know at some at one point we shot on some vintage cow uh, lenses, mm-hmm. uh, which were really, you know, our DP had some really strong sensibilities about that and uh, led to some really pretty <laughs> shots that I wasn't even anticipating that mm-hmm. kind of came together, but yeah.
1: Uh, what were you doing whilst this was going on uh, over the four-year period? Was there other stuff that you were able to do, or were you were you so tied up into this that you kind of put everything else to one side? or?
0: Great question. No, I think I, I released an EP in that time. Mm-hmm. Um, some some music. I've done a lot of commercial work uh, in the last few years. So even recently, like I produced the last uh, few campaigns for for Ann Taylor's Loft. I've done work for Macy's and Target and Polaroid and done some of those things. So uh, yeah, and a lot of other sort of unique projects. I do some brand consulting uh, for app development and. Sort of market consulting,
3: mm-hmm.
0: social media management consulting, stuff like that, which is always project contingent and, and really fun for pockets of time, uh, as well as getting involved in other people's art. Uh, you know, I've had the opportunity now to work on a few different TV shows. Uh, I was a set dresser and lead person on a um, on a Chinese feature film that, that came up as a, a job that took, you know, I think it was a six-week job that mm-hmm. was... You know, incredibly uh, inspiring and hands-on and creative in a different way that I had been carrying. So that felt felt nice. <laughs> you know, <laughs> at a point where I don't have to I, like have all the answers to everybody else's questions. I could just get the right color thing <laughs> The the is A nice break sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I've been working on a novel. Uh, so I, I've been writing a science fiction novel. So that's a project that's kind of always in play. And you know, I, I think exploring. The other elements of songwriting, other things. Why are you laughing?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's quite the list. It's fantastic.
0: Well, you know, my life motto has merged into uh, always choose both. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, always choose both. Um, But yeah, and really it's because I like a lot of dimension Mm -hmm. in my world. And I, I, you know, I enjoy traveling and working with people. Sometimes I feel like the creative. Native arts was specifically just like a catalyst to get to hang out with cool people and spend time <laughs> with them and learn from them. Um, I still sort of feel that way every now and then I'm, you know, working in a studio with people who are smarter than me thinking, oh, I'm so happy. Like, I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. <laughs> and it's great. It's it's motivating. It's inspiring. It's fun. Uh, and it's the place that I want to prioritize my time. Mm
1: what do you uh what do you have plan next is there something that you is like uh did did working on avant-garde make you think i could do this again or do you feel like you've done that and want to <laughs> oh
0: i i feel like it's kind of like the magic of childbirth if you ask a woman who's just had a baby if she wants to have another baby and i know people compare art to having babies in a very cliche trope way which is very funny but it's uh but like if you ask her to be like, no, screw you. That hurts so bad. I'm never doing this again. And so like, or maybe the hangover from when you drink. You know, they're like, I'm never drinking again. <laughs> uh, but then, like, you know, a few weeks later, like, <laughs> somebody's like, you want to go out, Tom? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, maybe. Um, so I, you know, I of course I want to continue to have ambitious work and undertake things that challenge me. I've spent the last year or so. Learning how to finish this mm-hmm. and promote it, and figure out how to maximize its reception and potential, uh, and rest a little, which is which is good. <laughs> uh, and as as I've continued to do that, you know, of course, I have my laundry list of things I'd like to work on, and I'm slowly now I think starting to put the tentacles back out and say, hey, like you want to want to do this little thing? You want to make something? I want to make something. <laughs> like, um, but. <laughs> You know, I, I feel like I have a really robust artistic community of just deeply creative humans mm-hmm. who who want to prioritize their time making things and be of use and service to sort of the greater work of doing this kind of work. Uh, and like connecting with them and working on their projects is as important to me as, you know, coming up with another thing that I'd like to do. And so part of my time, I think, will be spent doing that. Um You know, figuring out other things that feel interesting to learn about or explore right now,
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, trying to be a little more present. Um, And I think, yeah, I I don't think I'm ready to jump right into the next big, big one. (laughs) 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 Maybe that will be the learning how to finish uh, a book or, you know, learn how to write a screenplay, something else I've never done Mm -hmm. other than the sort of treatment for this film. Um, And, you know, those adventures, I look forward to them. And I don't feel an urgency around rushing them
1: mm-hmm Lindsay, is there uh where, where would you like people to to find you online or uh, where, where's best to find your work it's
0: a good question i've been trying to get better at the, the right so there's the part of our work where we make the thing and hmm. then there's the part of the work where we talk about the thing <laughs> and engage about the thing and sell the thing and so my you know, I'm trying to become a little more knowledgeable and savvy about the places that consumers and artists and fans like to hang out and receive work and be. For me, that platform has been Twitter dominantly. Uh-huh. I have found great community and connection on Twitter and enjoyed enjoyed that community so much. You know, that being said, I know a lot of people do that sort of emotional connecting on Facebook, which is a, a place that I have a page and, and sort of engagement. But but it just doesn't resonate with me as much. So I don't spend as much time there. And so I don't, I don't always get to uh, play in that sandbox in the same way that everybody else does. Cause I, I don't really understand how it works yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I, I will have a website at some point right now. There's one for the film, uh, which I believe is the uh, My social media is all Lindsay cat. Uh, my name's so at Lindsay cat, I think for Instagram and for Twitter uh, but yeah, I I feel like the next block will be about exploring, yeah, how to connect, how to connect with people around making the the work that I'm interested in next, which mm-hmm. I think we can find out day by day. So hopefully people can yeah, if they've got uh, things that they want to connect over, that's been an exciting part of this is to hear from people like you who have a podcast and <laughs> your your own creative labor <laughs> uh, and connect with you here, which has been such a pleasure. So thank you again for having me.
1: Mm, thank you very much. That's it for this episode. We'll be back in two weeks. You can find us online at whoiampodcast.com or email us at whoiampodcast at gmail.com. We're also on iTunes where you can leave a rating if you feel inclined. Playing us out is Lindsay Cat with her track My Happy. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jamie Gamble, and this was This Is Who I Am.
2: It's like a happiness that has no end and no beginning. To test the mess that I made or save the day something. I coin the perfect face To pay for the mistakes I me, And everybody laughs Forgives and forgets Yeah, right Cause this is real, real life else and that's a life yeah this is real real life I'm alright with that cause I'm fine I'm not happy all the time but life is worth living so why are we living at all cause life is worth living so why are we living at all pick it up pick it up stranger cause I'm alive but I'm no danger to you or your wife or your lover in boxes and i wanna be the one who picks them out and don't shout at me because i don't shout at you okay maybe i do yeah i guess that i do but that's fine because it's really And we'll never let go